Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. Today's show is sponsored by Mikasa Home Inspections, Calgary's top-rated home inspection company. Mikasa understands that the highest quality of service is essential, so make sure to call Mikasa before your next real estate deal. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hey guys, on today's show, I had the pleasure of speaking with Nelda Schulte. Nelda has extensive knowledge about what it takes to be a successful landlord and has even written a book on the subject, The Canadian Landlord's Handbook. She understands the value of being a lifelong learner and is very active in teaching and coaching. She specializes in coaching landlords that want to self-manage and avoid the pitfalls and mistakes that commonly happen. There's definitely a lot of great value and information shared in this podcast. Hey, Nelda, I just want to welcome you to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm great. And uh, even better now that I'm on your show, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that. So you're in the uh, landlord, how do I word this? So it's for people. Self-management. Yes. You coach uh, landlords that want to do self-management. So can can you just tell me about yourself and how you got into that? Yes. Yeah. So I started out like a lot of investors do, but my, I'll go back to my time in Fort McMurray. So I bought a house and I thought, oh, great. At the time that I was living in Fort McMurray, the market was super, super hot for real estate there. If you could get a house, you kind of won the lottery. Because everybody, there was a huge housing shortage and everyone was getting something called a living out allowance. So an LOA. So on top of their wage, they get like anywhere from 500 to 4,000 to however many thousands of dollars just to live in Fort McMurray because it was so expensive to live there. So I thought I'll buy a, a property. I will live in the upstairs. I'll rent the downstairs and life will be grand and I'll just wing it. I'll figure it out as I go. And then, of course, that's when you start running into problems. And then my biggest problem was I had a guy who was using and dealing drugs in the basement. He was dealing crack, which completely freaked me out. So I called the police and I said, what can I do? And they said, well, you know, we can't do anything unless he hurts you or he damages your property. So, of course, I'm not sleeping nights thinking, "Okay, there's all this drug traffic coming into my house. And I, I have to wait till I get hurt or my property gets hurt till the police come in and do anything about it. So I just thought after that experience, I did get him out. Nobody got hurt. My property didn't get hurt. I was very lucky. I had one big moment of clarity when I thought, I think I know what to do. I'm going to do it now. And I did. But after that, I thought, I never, ever, ever want this to happen to me again. I'm not going to let this happen. I need to figure out how to screen tenants properly. And I need to figure out how I can make this system work for me so that, you know, it's good for them. It's good for me. And and I can sleep nights. I don't want that, that ever again. So I developed a system over the years. And then that turned into then I thought, hey, why don't I turn this into a part time gig? So initially I had I called it a, a landlord matchmaking service. So there were people who had properties they wanted to self-manage, but they didn't know anything about bringing a tenant in because there's really a, a whole learning curve and a skill set involved in that. So I would do all the advertising and the screening, and then we put all the paperwork in place. They would choose the tenant that they wanted from the ones that I screened. And then we put the tenant in place and then they would self-manage. So then we became a licensed property manager because the real estate council started breathing down our neck. (laughs) So we became licensed. And then we brokered with Maxwell South Star and we were, um, and we had a Calgary property management business for a few years And then I discovered that what I liked the most about the property management business was not the day-to-day operations, but I really liked the teaching component and writing and courses and coaching people, which is, again, my background, which is education and corporate training. And so I thought, hey, why don't I go into that? So then that turned into NeldaSchulte.com, which is suspiciously the same as my first and my last name. (laughs) And it's the banner behind my head. And so that's how I got into this business. And I've I've been an investor and a landlord for over 18 years. My husband and I have properties in Alberta and BC. So um, we've certainly dealt with a lot of issues over 18 years. I bet. Like, that's a pretty cool origin story. Like, I think a lot of people going through what you did there in Fort McMurray probably would have went the other way. They probably would have said, you know what, this isn't for me. You know, I'm a tired, distressed landlord. I'm going to sell. And uh, real estate investing basically is, you know, it's kind of the it's kind of like that cliche story that everybody hears about and and that doesn't want to get into real estate investing, right? Yeah. But you yeah, went the you went the other the way. Yeah, I did. Because yeah. I thought, okay, it's never gonna get worse than this. And I you know, if I experienced the worst and I got through it. I mean, I needed a couple months to sort of regroup and catch my breath because I it really did scare me. You know, I, I was living by myself. I had tenants who were 
roommates who were upstairs, but they were working on shifts and they were in and out of town. They weren't going to help me if anything happened. The police weren't going to help me. You know, I had to figure it out on my own. So I thought, okay, I'll figure it out. And it's tuition. It's tuition. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's a great way to look at it, right? It's You learn from it. You sure do. Yeah. So let's start off. Alberta is a bit unique. We have what's called the RTDRS, right? I don't think other provinces have this, uh, the same kind of government level of, I, I'm gonna, probably not going to get the wording quite right, but it's a, it's a residential tenancy dispute resolution service. Is that right? Yeah, it's a real mouthful, isn't it? It's not easy to say. You know, could, could you kind of give our listeners a bit of a high level what that is, the benefits, yeah. that kind of thing? Yeah, so the RTDRS, the acronym is easier to say than the full name, uh, is basically it's a quasi-judicial tribunal that offers landlords and tenants a method of resolving disputes under the Residential Tenancies Act and the Mobile Home Sites Tenancies Act. So those are the two acts that govern rentals in Alberta without going to court. So if you have issues with tenants, you can either go to the RTDRS or you could go to the Court of the King's Bench. Um, there is an RTDS for each province. So Ontario okay. has their own, Newfoundland has their own, Saskatchewan has their own, BC has their own. Ours is a little bit unique in that we don't have a huge long waiting list, not as long as Ontario, where unfortunately landlords go bankrupt waiting to get in, into the queue and uh, where they get ruled against. So they're waiting two years with tenants that are not paying in the RTDRS to get an order to get evict their tenant and they can't do it. They, in the meantime, they've gone bankrupt. So ours is a quicker system. But it's it's basically the same system. It's a government system. That's interesting. So I I was thinking Ontario didn't have one because I knew those stories of like, hey, it takes two years. And I just thought, oh, we it's because we have the RTDRS, uh, we streamline it and it's a better process. But so if they have the same system, why does it bottleneck so bad compared to Alberta? What? They don't have enough people to manage it, and it's mismanaged. I mean, I mean, well, anything that you know, this dealing with government, you're dealing with government, you're dealing with a huge level of bureaucracy. The other thing is that the people who are the adjudicators don't have to have special training in the RTA. They they may or they may not read it. And they're not, it's sort of like a bylaw officer where, you know, a bylaw officer will come to your place and when you're building your house and say, you have to put a tree right here. And you can say, well, no, I don't think I do. And they, they will say, yeah, and we're going to fine you if you don't put a tree there. Well, you can't go and complain about them and have anything done. It's sort of, it's kind of a similar process. It's like whoever you get on the day and what mood they're in and what their knowledge level is, is who you get. They're not judges, they're civil servants. So I think I'll just stop there. <laughs> okay, okay. So okay, maybe, maybe like to, on a positive thing, what, what do you see that like Alberta is doing right that's, that's actually streamlining it? So what, what would be, I think it's like, a month or two months max, yeah. kind of thing to get yeah. through the Alberta yes. system, right? So what, what kind of things are we doing right that? What are we doing right? Yeah, we, we do have a faster process to get through. You can contest it. You can, um, you know, if you're not happy with ruling and you, you could contest it at the RTDRS within 30 days or you could go to court. You could go to the court of the King's Bench. So those are things that Alberta does do right. We do. And we also have fixed term leases here that, you know, where somebody has an end date to their lease and then at the end, that end date they have to leave whereas a lot of provinces have periodic leases which makes it much more difficult to get rid of a tenant we also don't have rent caps in alberta which is great so once somebody leaves once the, their tenancy is over you can raise the rent by any amount there's no rental cap so we can keep up with inflation which, which makes it more attractive to investors to invest in alberta I see. And, and why would someone go to the court of King bench? What's an example? Or do they just, do you try to avoid it as a landlord? Is it, is it kind of like a last resort? It is kind of a last resort. I'm just going to look at my cheat sheet here because luckily I haven't had to take any tenants to court. Knock well, on, that's good. Knock on wood. I mean, <laughs> I have good, a really yeah. vigorous tenant screening process. I, some of the tenants have said to me it was easier to get a Nexus car than it was to get into my properties. <laughs> and I do that on purpose. And that said, I'm not saying that I'm perfect or it's a perfect system or that it's going to be 100% foolproof because people people can change. You know, somebody who was a great tenant could develop a, an addiction. Yeah, um, yeah. Or go off the reels when something horrible happens to their lives. Life, life crisis, something life happens. Crisis. Yeah. Life happens. So, but For I'm sure. saying that my screening process has helped circumvent a lot of issues that I might have had if I would have just let any and any, any and everybody in. But you go to the court of the King's Bench, let's say you've gone to the RTDRS and uh, it's on a point of law, which means that you're challenging the law was not used correctly when you went to the RTDRS. Mm, okay. You yeah. can also go to the court of the King's Bench if you've got 
can't, I don't, I'm not an authority on this, as mentioned, because I haven't gone to court. There are certain amounts of money that, of damages that. That may escalate it to that. May escalate uh, it to the court of the case. Yes. Okay. Thank you for that. That gives me a bit of clarity on uh, the difference there. And then, so you kind of led us into the next question, which is, I wanted to hear about your tenant screening process. And maybe if you could share with, to the listeners, what that looks like to get that Nexus card. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Nexus Court and Eldest Property. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, actually, really glad you asked this. And by the way, you can you can access this on my website. I have a white paper that goes through it. You can get for free. Yep. I have articles that I've written on the five-step screening process. And there's a free webinar on my website as well that you can access. And I have a short course that's 40 minutes long that's, you know, $28 or something. But the, basically, the tenant screening process is, I'll just go over the high level initially, which is advertise, pre-screen, and you've got your application form, your reference checks, your credit check. And then I don't list the six step in, but you really do have to document everything and hang on to your documentation. So do you want me to go into a little bit of detail about each of the steps? Yeah, just maybe a very high level of each step. That'd be perfect. Yeah. So when you advertise for property, you kind of have to have an avatar in mind. You've got a profile of your ideal tenant. For instance, if you have a bachelor condo unit and a family of 10 call you and they've got six pets, obviously that is not a good fit for your property. So you need to pre-screen people and you need to write your ad with your ideal tenant in mind, but be very careful with your wording so that you're not excluding anybody because then you could be in violation of the human rights, Mm -hmm. which housing falls under, by the way. Then you do your pre-screenings and I always recommend people get on the phone. And just ask, there are five or six questions that you can ask people that determine whether or not they're a good fit for your property and whether they're a good fit for you. So for instance, uh, if they don't want to go through your screening process at this point, you can tell them, by the way, I have an application process. And on the application, I ask for three to five years of landlord references. I ask for employment references. And I ask for a credit check or permission to run a credit check. Is that okay with you? And if they say no, that's fine. They can move on because you only want people that you can get all that information from. Then you have your application form. So that's got all of the information about their past uh, places that they lived and the references and their credit check. You can take a look at that information and cross-reference it with your credit check, which will show a lot of that information. And then you can cross-reference it with social media. So I always recommend that people do a social media check on their tenants. And then you check all the references. There are questions that you can ask those as well and run social media checks on the references too. So I want to see who I'm talking to and I want to see if it matches up with what they've told me about them. And then you do a credit check and you should always ask permission to do a credit check. And I've got a form for that as well so that you've got it in writing. And then you you keep all that documentation. And that should give you a really very good overview of the history of your tenants. That's great. And then what what information would you need from them to get a credit check? Like. Do you need a social insurance? You don't need their social insurance number. Uh, you need Firstly, you need permission and it has to be signed and dated. And you have to state that it's for the sole purpose of running a credit check for this property and just for you. And that's all you're going to use it for. Uh, I have a form on my website as well. And then they have to sign and date it. And then you can run a credit check. And they get a copy of that. You, you get a copy of it. Okay, perfect. And then, so now let's say you, that you've screened them and now you, you've made the selection what what would be like an ideal tenant? What would that person look like uh, or, or yeah, or family to you? Well, here again, it, a lot of it depends on your, the big overview is you want someone who's going to pay their rent on time every month, number one. That's absolutely, you're running a business and they need to pay you. And then you want someone who's going to take good care of your property. So they're going to keep it well-maintained. You know, they're they're going to keep it clean. Uh, so those are the two two main things that you're looking for. And then the individual profiles really depend on your property because certain properties attract certain people in certain neighborhoods, as you know, as a mm-hmm. realtor, attract certain types of people. Some, some neighborhoods that are all condos attract single professionals that want to walk to work. Other, or they like the nightlife there. Uh, other neighborhoods are family-oriented. You know, they're for families of five or 10 or whatever. So it really depends on the size of your property and the location of your property, who your ideal tenant is. But the very bottom line is they have to be able to pay the rent. They need to take good care of your property. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. And then so when once you you've uh, basically you've selected the tenant, you've got your ideal tenant. How are you going to set up your communication? What, what do you feel is the best way to, to kind of put that in writing and just say, this is how we're going to communicate from here out? What would you do in that in that case, like for, the, for setting that up? Yeah, well, for most of my tenants, 
And I would say this has changed drastically over the years. I know when I first started landlording, most communication was by phone. And then, of course, if you're documenting anything, that would be email and attachments. But a lot of people don't like doing that. They want to text through WhatsApp or, you know, voicemail or or not voicemail, marketplace or through your, your phone number. There are any number of apps that you use. But whatever you use, it's a good idea to be consistent so that, you know, if they know that you're going to always email them or you're always going to text them. Or if you have a phone call, you're following up with whatever information that you decided you were you're going to do or confirm or whatever, that that's in a text or an email. Just make sure you document everything and that you're consistent with whatever you use. It doesn't have to be any one application. That really depends on what you're comfortable using. But anything that involves a change or a confirmation of something that you've done, you need to be able to track that somehow. I see. So obviously some people, like if you have a business, you're going to check your email more frequently. But if a lot of a lot of people aren't checking their email that frequently, but I feel like email can be a better way to just have a history. Like if you if, if there was a dispute, you could say, well, look on this, you know, I have it here. It was it. But it's recognized even through text. Any, any other way form is also recognized by, say, RTDRS if there was a dispute. Yeah, as you as can as print as all that out. You can print out the messages. You can keep your history. Just yeah. print out the text and it's yeah. kind of the same deal. Okay. Yeah. I see. You also obviously have to have that in writing as well, that this is how we are going to communicate in, in the uh, agreement. Is that right? I have never done that. You've never done that? Okay. Oddly, no, I haven't. So not, it's not required. It's just that you you kind of have no. to just establish that. It doesn't have yeah. to be in writing. I see. Okay. Yeah, just establish what form you are comfortable with and they're comfortable with and that they're, they're comfortable using. And then just track everything, any kind of changes or documentation that you need to track. You need to be able to keep a record of all of that. Okay, that makes sense. And then for the other thing that I think that is pretty critical to put in, and maybe it sometimes gets missed, is what uh, is like the maintenance inspection schedule. So where mm-hmm. you get access to your property, could you kind of speak, you know, share some information about that for those? Yeah, years? and I'm so glad you brought that up. So a lot of insurance companies have this written into their their rental policies, but they don't necessarily tell you about it. And that is that they might require that you go in to your rental property three times a year, twice a year, once a year to do a maintenance inspection report. So you need to check with your insurance provider and see how often you need to go in and what they require in the form of documentation. I also have a form for maintenance inspection reports that I use. So, and then you let your tenants know, I I let them know during the application process and during the pre-screening process that I do maintenance inspection reports three times a year when we first start or twice a year. And then I, it doesn't have to be me who goes in, like my property in Fort McMurray, I still have my maintenance guy goes in and he does my maintenance inspection reports for me. And he's checking for any leaks, anything that could turn into a really big problem later. He wants to see if they're okay, if they're happy, or you know, if they're how they're getting along with the neighbors. Sometimes I check with the neighbors and see how things are going for them. Are they hearing any rowdy noise or anything? It's also a good way to build relationships with your tenants. You know, you're, you're there to help maintain the property. And you can sweeten that, sweeten the experience for them by giving them a gift card if you know that they like Starbucks or you know, whatever, you can bring something like that along with you. There's a really brilliant lady that I know who works out of Calgary who does, um, they, they're not a property maintenance business, but they support landlords okay. and they help them with their investments. And she does a maintenance inspection reports several times a year. And what she does is if people have, she's got a point system. And if, if their place is spick and span and everything's in good repair, I mean, there still might be stuff that you might, might need to repair that turned out that week. She's not going to hold that against them. But, but basically... They're, they're like a five-star gold star tenant and their name goes into a draw for a gift card. So she'll give them 150 bucks towards a Safeway grocery card or gas cards or whatever. And then she enters these, they, their names get entered into draws every month. And so the other tenants can see in the newsletter that these tenants have, are winning these prizes. And so it's it's kind of like Smart. It, That's really- incentive. It's, it's a positive when she comes because you're like, oh good, I get a gold star and I could win a prize. <laughs> so yeah. I really like the way that she handles that. I thought it was a great idea. Yeah, you incentivize it, right? You get people on board and and uh, you're going to take better care of the property too. Yes, and then you can also check and see if there are any other guests in the house, human or furry. If there are any grow-ups I, I <laughs> think turning up. That can be, if you have this in place and they know that you're, you know, whatever that is in the terms, but if you're, if they know the frequency, it, I think that can be a deterrent for some illegal stuff that can happen if, you know, otherwise, right? If, if they're like, oh, okay, we just have a two-year lease and you, you never get to enter the property again. I think it can be, a, you know, could be some big problems that could, that can happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if they know you're coming around and they know that that is part of your policy, 
then yeah. yes, they're they're going to look if they're in the drug business or what else, you know, they're big trouble. They're probably going to go somewhere else. That's right. I, I was in a condo just recently and the owner had rented it out for more than two years, never been in it. And the shower had been leaking in, mm-hmm. into the uh, bathroom uh, on the subfloor. Yep. It was all rotted. It was full of mold and the wood was all deteriorated and it actually had leaked. They they found out about it because uh, a unit below was was being sold and an inspector you know, found it with an infrared camera that the moisture from the above unit was leaking into like probably two years of damage. And it's... Oh you know, and that's where those those uh, free maintenance checks would have helped prevent that, right? Yeah. And by the way, insurance will not cover you if you have not done your due diligence as a as a landlord. If they if they know that it was something that could have been prevented by by regular maintenance, they're going to say, "Sorry, we're not covering that." That's what you, you you knew that that was going on. You chose not to do anything about it. You're going to have to foot the bill yourself. Yeah, and that could be. I mean, he could be on the hook for his unit for damage oh. to the other unit, and yeah, yeah, big, horrible, a big headache. Yeah. Yep. And then is there any restrictions, obviously, on, on how frequently these inspections can be? So what would that look like? Yeah, it, you you don't ever want to interfere with the tenant's peaceful enjoyment of their property. So, for instance, there was a, a fellow I knew whose his corporation owned the houses and they, he was insured under commercial policy. And the commercial policy wanted us to go in once a month for inspections. And I said, there's no way we're going to do that. Like that's totally breathing down the tenant's necks. So can you let them know that we'll come in once every four months and that, you know, they also can log in their maintenance requests to our property management portal. So like we will stay up on what's going on, but we're not going to go in once a month. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for so sure. and you, you do have to give tenants 24 hours notice. You can't just show up on the doorstep and say, here I am. I happen to be in the neighborhood. It's convenient for me to do a maintenance inspection right now. So I'm just going to barge in. You have to give them 24 hours notice. You're not allowed to go on their day of worship or their day of rest. If that's a Sunday or a Wednesday night, you have to check with them. And you can't go at it at an ungodly hour, like at 10 o'clock at night or anything. You have to go within certain time spans. So you, know, you have to be respectful of your tenants' yep. privacy. That makes sense. And is there is there also like a, you can only be in here, is there a time frame or is it just like, just be reasonable? Like it should take yeah, be reasonable. 30 minutes. For, yeah, you know. a maintenance inspection, if the property's in good shape, it shouldn't take you that long. I, I always used to just run all the taps, put my hands under all the taps and the faucets and make sure there was no leaks, check the toilets, check the furnace room, the hot water tank. You know, if everything's running and there's no leaks in the fireplace, nothing bizarre, inside, outside, you're good to go. So it shouldn't take you very long, especially if you've got a checklist. You could just go through and check things off. Yeah, that, that's great advice. So for you as a coach, what, what are some common mistakes you see with uh, new landlords? What kind of you know things are you, do you see frequently? Yeah, well, the first thing is most people think they don't have to know anything about the, the Residential Tenancies Act, the RTA. They're like, oh, I'll just wing it. And if something goes wrong, then I'll, I'll deal with it, which is that was me when I started to. And when you're in crisis, that is not the time to be leafing through the RTA and try and find out what the heck you need to do. And when you call Service Alberta, they're not really very sympathetic towards you. It's like, this is your business. You haven't learned it. Shame on you type thing. So not knowing the RTA is a big one or not really seeing the need to learn the RTA. And I always recommend that all landlords have a copy of the RTA or have a copy of the RTA handbook on hand because you're going to need to refer to it constantly. Uh, the other thing is a lot of people think they're going to just trust their gut. A lot of people tell me, well, I'm a really good judge of character, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, you know, a lot of, they probably are in their regular life. You know, they've got good friends, they've got a good job, they know who they can trust, but they're professional tenants who can, who can sing a really good cry story. They know how to push your buttons. You know, there is, a, so that's, that's a big one. Trust an Allah, but tie up your camel. Like, okay, go ahead and trust your gut, but run the tenant screening process, get all your documentation in place so that you have proof that if you think this person's a good person, that they are a good person. You need to see all of that on paper. Um, so that's the other one, screening the RTA insurance, tenants insurance. Most landlords don't realize that they should ask their tenants or make it mandatory to have tenants insurance. Yeah, that's good. What can happen? Can you give me an example? So if, if you didn't have tenant insurance, what kind of bad things are, can happen from that? Um, yeah, well, if your tenant damages your property and you have to do a big chunk of repairs, your insurance can go after their insurance. So that's a good one. Now, I mean, you know this, but insurance doesn't follow your house, it follows you. So for instance, in three years, there was a flood in Calgary, a flood in Fort McMurray. Um, I had some 
issues with my condo in Edmonton with, with sewage backup. And I called the insurance company like three times within a few months. They, they viewed that as a black mark on my record and they dropped me. Mm-hmm. So then I had to go hat in hand and try and find another insurance provider that would cover me. And then that was a big black mark on my record. So my insurance premiums have gone up and they said, they, there's probably no chance of them going down for another 10 years. So <laughs> had it been, I mean, that one, I don't know if I tenants insurance would have helped me with that. But if the tenants had damaged something, or if you have a couple of tenants who damage things and you're making a couple of claims to insurance, that counts against you. So you want to make sure that you can keep those claims away from you and they yeah. can go on somebody else's insurance policy and not yours. So that's the biggest reason for having tenants insurance for a landlord. From a tenant standpoint, it, you need to protect your contents. And a lot of people think, oh, my stuff isn't worth very much. But okay, having a property in Fort McMurray has been a trial by fire, literally, because you know there were two floods. Mm-hmm. One where my tenants got evacuated, the whole area that I lived in got evacuated. Basically, the, pe- the cops went at the end of the street and they said to everybody, get out now. And they had to leave. So you know they had to grab whatever they had and find a place to live. You know, and if they didn't have tenants insurance and they'd already paid their rent and they only had a few clothes with them, what are they going to do? You need you need to work, have clothes to go to work. You need to have uh, clothes to kind of get through the seasons. Like it's it was they were really in a tough spot. Uh, and then there was a flood, their fire, that same thing. Firemen showed up at the end of the street and they said my one tenant was washing her car and they said, get out now. So she turned the hose off, grabbed her cats, grabbed her purse and she had to leave. So she didn't have tenants insurance and, you know, she was, her work luckily provided her with another place to work in another province, but she was really struggling trying to figure out how she was going to pay rent. You know, how was she going to find clothes to wear for work? She was a hairdresser. Like it was really tough on her. So I said to the tenants for your own peace of mind, you're going to think that your property maybe isn't worth that much, but try living without it when you don't have it. It's really tough. For sure. Yeah. Protect yourself. And what kind of premiums do you typically see for a tenant? Obviously, it probably depends on the size of the property, that kind of thing. But just as a kind of a ballpark number. Oh, $20, $30 at most per month. Wow. Yeah, if, if $30 is the high end, that covers right. like yeah, high end sofas and stuff. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's so cheap for insurance, right? Yeah. And like, like you said, in an emergency when you need it, it's uh, it's worth its weight in gold. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was on your blog and it got tons of good articles on there. Uh, the one I found was kind of intriguing was the senior tenants becoming more common. Can you kind of share a little bit about that? Yeah, there are landlords who are wanting to start renting properties to seniors. Now, I'm going to offer a caveat with that because who you are now, I don't know if you've changed drastically over the last 10, 20, 30 years. But if you're a person who pays your bills on time and you take good care of things, you're probably that same person now. If you're a person who likes to scam people, you get a real kick out of that. And you think it's fun to rip people off. I, I mean, I remember people telling me, well, if someone's dumb enough to give me a credit card, I'm going to max it out and I'm not paying it back. Like that was their attitude. So that was them then. And they're still that way now. <laughs> so just because you have senior tenants doesn't mean that all of a sudden you've got these nice little old people who are going to pay the rent on time, not party, not trash your property, not have people over it. You can have really bad senior tenants, just like you can have bad non-senior tenants. Um, but in theory, people have calmed down a little bit, matured, and they're easier to manage, and they like their space. They don't necessarily want a whole ton of people living with them, so they're not going to be moving a bunch of people in or a bunch more pets or or developing addictions that you're going to have to contend with. So they should be more settled. However, not always, because I've certainly heard some horror stories from... I remember one guy telling me he had a you know, this couple was sweet little couple. And he said, yeah, I'll just hold the property for you. you can move in. It's going to be yours. And he just had the tenants from hell. They moved in extended family members, pets, they trashed the property, they partied, you know, wow. this was like people who looked like his grandparents, which is why he liked them so much. And he, they didn't pay rent. He had a terrible time. So you still have to bet. <laughs> I'm glad you're sharing that because I would probably get burned that way. I would look at this, you know, older couple, oh, you know, like I would just feel safer and i probably wouldn't do as much due diligence given that they're seniors to be honest with you so yes yeah anyway if you learn one thing here do your due diligence (laughs) for sure (laughs) doesn't matter the age yeah that's right (laughs) for sure so kind of wanted to ask about uh so we have like you had mentioned earlier we have fixed term lease and we also have month-to-month periodic tenancy could for our listeners could you kind of go through the differences between the two and, and maybe some of the pros and cons we'll dive into as well 
Absolutely. And this is a really super good question because a lot of people don't know. Like I, something I always see with Facebook groups, people are going in and they're saying, well, I'm having a problem with the tenant. I can't get rid of them, blah, blah, blah. And everyone, you know, jumps in and they start giving advice. First thing you should say is, okay, what kind of a lease do you have? Is it a fixed term tenancy or is it a periodic term tenancy? Once you know what the tenancy is, you can go forward from there, but you can't jump in and give a bunch of advice unless you know what the tenancy is. So um, periodic tenancies and fixed term tenancies are similar in that they have a start and an end date, but a fixed term tenancy is usually six months, 12 months, can be three months if you've got people transitioning between buying a house or leaving the country or whatever. But with a fixed term tenancy, the end date is very definite. So if you have a six, six month fixed term tenancy, it ends on noon on the last day of the month of the, of the tenancy month. And they have to be out on that date unless you agree otherwise, in which case you could give them a new fixed term tenancy or you if they say, could you roll it into a periodic tenancy? You could if you want them to go that route. Or if you forget and you want to keep them as tenants and they've been really good and they want to stay and you want them to stay, then it automatically rolls into a periodic tenancy. Now, periodic tenancies, like fixed-term tenancies, specify tenancy for a period of time, such as week-to-week, month-to-month, or year-to-year. But unlike fixed-term tenancies, there's no it can carry on indefinitely. So there's no definite end to a periodic tenancy. And if either party gives notice, there are very specific rules about how you have to give notice and, and what you can give notice for. So for instance, if you are a landlord who has tenants on a periodic tenancy and you decided you want to take the suite back because maybe your, your ailing father, you want him to move in and you want to take care of him, that would be an acceptable reason. But they only accept five reasons for you to give notice to your periodic tenants to end the tenancy. And the reasons are a relative is occupying the premises you're selling the property, you're demolishing the property, you're making major renovations, or you're intending to use it for non-residential purposes. So like, let's say you want to have that suite and you want to turn it into an art studio and run classes there. That would be an acceptable reason. So they only allow five reasons for you to give your tenants notice to end your periodic tenancy. And (laughs) this is where it always gets complicated and I always have to have my notes with me. There are acceptable notice periods for periodic tenancies. There are acceptable notice periods for landlords, acceptable notice periods for tenants. And I'll go over those with you because I always, always, always have to have this with me. So for a week to week tenancy, a landlord, a landlord can give a week notice on the first day of the tenancy week for the notice to be effective at the month's end. And the tenant can give you a week's notice. So week to week must not be very common. Wouldn't it default to, if you went from a fixed term into and didn't have another contract signed it would just go in, it would be considered a month to month wouldn't it periodic after that yeah okay so you'd but, have to define it as a week to week yeah you would have to define it as a week to week in fort mcmurray that was pretty common because there are a lot of people who had executive uh, rentals and they would I have tenancies okay we're just coming in for a few weeks here a few weeks there didn't they didn't want a month i see okay yeah month to month notice the tenant has to give you 30 days notice on or before the first day of the tenancy month for the termination to be effective on the last day of the tenancy month, the landlord has to give 90 days notice. That I think this is a big one that a lot of realtors get caught on, um, yeah. you know, when they want to list a property and it's like, oh, we want to, uh, you know, we're going to put this property up for sale. And it's like, oh, no, that's no problem. We're month to month. We'll give them 30 days notice. And then they realize, no, no, they need 90 days notice. To, and, and let's say you were going to, it's like December 6th and you're now, it would be 90 days from now till which could end up in the middle of another month kind of thing, right? Yep. Like that you would yep. have to give them, yeah. That- yeah, and if you if you mess it up, then you have to start all over again. So let's say that the landlord said, oh, you know, we're selling the house. We're going to give you 30 days. You messed it up. And now you owe them another 90 days on top of that. Another 90. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's a lot. Of, it and can be a huge headache for, oh, for the landlord. Absolutely, yes. I've heard this many times. And then the yearly notice, the tenant has to give the landlord 60 days but the landlord has to give 90 days. So for monthly and yearly as a landlord, you have to give 90. So that, that's what's confusing about all of this. With the, with the fixed term tenancy, which seem to work better in Alberta than they do in Ontario. Ontarians seem to like periodic better. But for fixed, it's like, here's the end date. You have to be out at noon. You don't have to give the tenants notice, although it's a courtesy to give them notice. I If, if there's a tenant that I don't want to renew the lease, I'll just say, heads up. Just a reminder, your tenancy ends at noon in a month's time, or I'll give them two months if I really think they might need a longer time to find a place to live. Please check the move out checklist and the 
schedule of fees for move out, the move out inspection report, and I attach them both. It, now, is there a requirement? So like if that if we know the lease is coming to an end, uh, it's a you know fixed one year, do you have to provide them a certain notice that as a reminder, anything like that? It's just, it just yeah. assumed it's in the contract, you are moving out. That's correct. And if, you, if you're evicting somebody for a fixed term lease and they don't leave on the end of the date, it's more cut and dry too, because it's, there it is, black and white, leave at noon on the last day of the month. Yeah, for sure. And now let's say uh, as a, a lot of real estate investors are going to be listening to this podcast and they're looking at properties and, and maybe the property that's for sale, let's say they're looking at buying a property right now and they look at this investment property, but the tenants have a lease till August of next year. Do they have to keep those tenants or they basically assume that contract yeah, um, when can, they buy the property? Yeah. Although I'm not a lot of landlords who talk to the tenant and say, look, I'm selling the property. You know, the new owners don't want tenants. They want to have it as a family home. Would you be willing to move? And they sweeten the deal. Sometimes the tenants just leave on their own. They'll say, okay, well, I'll just find another place to live. Other times they'll have to sweeten the deal. So they'll say, well, you know, I'll give you two months rent if you leave by such and such a date and you follow all the move out inspection requirements and everything's in good order, then this is what I'll give you if you, if you leave. It's called cash for keys. Yeah, yeah, cash for keys for sure. Yeah. yeah. So basically you're bribing them to move out early. And, and a, lot, sure. a lot of tenants will, will say okay to that because they're, they're getting a good deal. Or they'll say, I'll pay your moving costs. They, there's usually some negotiation that happens there. The tenants will say, well, if you can give me this and this, then I'll, I'll leave by that date. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, here's another one. So you're buying a property, tenants are staying, but the rent values are under market value. Now you're the new owner. What are your rights to increase that rent? Yeah, well, with a fixed term lease, you have to wait until the end of the fixed term and then you can raise it for a new lease. But you can't raise it within the, the tenancy period, and it's and with periodic leases, you have to wait 360 days. Oh my gosh, that's, <laughs> that's the part I, I didn't know that you have to wait 300. So if, if you assumed a property on periodic tenancy, obviously you have to give them 90 days notice to leave, right? But you also would have, if they want if they say we're staying, uh, you'd have to wait 365 days from that time you take possession of the property. Yes, not from possession of the property from the beginning of their when they signed a periodic lease. Oh, okay. From the time they signed the periodicals. Okay. So if it if that had expired, so what if they had, uh, maybe this is going too far in the weeds. But, uh, <laughs> let, let's say they were on a fixed term lease that just transitioned into the periodic tenancy. Where does that kind of fall for rent increases? Yeah. Uh, 360 days. Sorry. That still is, hey? Yep. Okay. Uh, that's all good information because I know for sure listeners are also that, that are, you know, be listening to this podcast. Are you thinking about those things when they mm -hmm. when they look at properties, right? Well, and those are things you don't think about. And I, I remember a realtor calling me once she was in Fort Mac and she had sold a house and the tenants hadn't signed a lease or anything when they moved in with the original owners. And they refused to leave when the new tenant, when the new um, owners took over the property. And she's like, what can I do? And this was before I learned all the rules and the laws and stuff. And I don't, I know, I don't know what happened to the end of that one, but that's, you know, that's a very difficult situation. You never want to get yourself into. Yeah. Oh, for sure. If at all possible. Definitely. Uh, a question, another question about rent. So how often can, can the rents be increased in Alberta? In Alberta, you can increase the rent at the end of the, the lease and there's no cap. You can raise it by any amount. By any amount. Yeah. yeah. But in Ontario, they, and BC, oh, where they've got rent controls, very complicated and they only allow people to raise a rent on certain dates. And I believe it was 1.2% in Ontario. So obviously not keeping up with inflation at all. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, yeah. it's way below inflation for sure. It's yeah, definitely. Yeah. But Alberta, we don't have that, which is great. And I did write a letter to the minister of service, Alberta, and because uh, I was concerned about them introducing rent controls in Alberta, in Alberta. And he said he wasn't going to do it because they had done in the eighties and it just created the reverse effect. It created a bigger housing shortage. People weren't leaving. Uh, landlords were pulling out. So they said they weren't going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so let's say your lease is coming to and you kind of touched on a little bit about the notice. So what, what's the best way as a landlord to handle uh, let, if you do not uh, maybe want the tenants to stay and you want, you, maybe you're planning on selling or doing a renovation. What's the best way to handle that? Like you said, notice isn't required, but you probably still should, right? As a Yeah, for courtesy. fixed term lease, yeah, it, it is a courtesy. And I would give them, depending on your relationship with them and how much notice you think they might need to find another place to live. Because there are certain times of the year, it's more difficult to find a place than others. And depending on what their job is, I mean, you know your tenants, so you can give them a month, two months. Some, some people like to give them three months. 
I know that the Municipal Landlord Tenant Associations recommend 90 days notice, so three months. And you could give, you don't have to give a reason why with a fixed term lease, but sometimes it makes it a little easier to digest rather than people think that you're kicking them out and they'll actually come right out and say, well, you're kicking me out. (laughs) It's not kicking you out. Tenancy is ending. I'm just not renewing, but you know, that's how they see it. So if you say, if you say something, I guess you could, you could say something that makes them feel better Then it's, that's probably recommended. Yeah, for sure. And then, so we, we talked about the maintenance inspections, that kind of thing, but what if you get, you got the wrong tenant in there and they're refusing access. So what are your rights as a landlord to access that property? So if you've given people proper notice, they actually can't refuse to let you in, but, and that's, that's considered a significant breach of the contract. So you could evict them for not letting you in. There's another area that, that also happens when people don't let you in. And sometimes they've had an accident, they've fallen, sometimes they've died. There have been tenants who died in properties. If you believe there's an emergency, like I, I was a leasing agent for a big apartment building. And I remember the family members of this elderly woman calling us and saying, you know, we haven't heard from her for a week. Have you seen her at all? We hadn't seen her walk around the building at all. And they said, could you check in on her? We knocked on the door. We called and didn't get any kind of a response. And so we, we went in, we brought in um, someone else with us as well and checked in and apparently she'd been very busy that week and she was having a bath when people went into her apartment. But I mean, it has happened in the past too. So she was okay. She was completely (laughs) okay. A little surprised there were all these people standing in her apartment when she came out in her bathroom, but (laughs) at least she was okay. But we believed it was an emergency. And so we had a right to enter without 24 hours notice. But there have been instances like this woman I interviewed for my, on my podcast um, has a multifamily complex. And one of her Tenants called her and said, I think there's something going on with the tenant next door because they have a cat that they let out, but he's been out in the hallway for hours and hours. That's very unusual. We've heard the shower running. It's been running for a couple hours. I think you should come here. So she dropped what she was doing, went over, you know, phone knocked on the door, no response, called 911 because she figured something was up. Uh, emergency response services came. Apparently this tenant had uh, had a medical condition, passed out in the shower, and they could have drowned in there had she not have come. Oh, so wow. uh, EMS took them away. She thanked, you know, the the other tenant who notified her. And um, she had also let, she had done a really good job of educating her tenants and saying, you know, you all have to look out for each other here. We're all, we're all here to help each other. And they did. And so between the tenant and her and EMS, they saved this this tenant's life. So sometimes it is an emergency situation and you should go in and check. Yeah, for sure. And you can go in without notice. Or if if you have a tenant who refuses access to get something repaired, such as I did, and um, this tenant's fixed term lease was coming to the end at the end of the month, and I remember just telling my maintenance guy, just we'll just wait till the end of the month. He's going to be gone. I'm not going to renew his lease. And then you can come in and get all these things fixed. So sometimes you can just wait until the end of the, the tenancy term and then go in and fix something if it isn't really critical. Yeah, yeah, but, for sure. But that is, that is considered a substantial breach of the lease if they will not allow you in. For sure. That's all great information. So I, one thing I wanted to ask you too about is rental scams. How common are we, like, is that, you know, there's so many things out there. People are constantly, I, there was a thing on the news the other night about, uh, you know, seniors being scammed. Mm-hmm. So is that something that landlords have to watch out for? Absolutely. It happens all the time, usually in the spring. The spring, we get a real influx of rental scams. There was this one that was going around I, we even wrote an article about it called The Indomitable Anna Grow because it was this woman who contacted us. Her name was theoretically Anna Grow, and she was on a barge or something internationally. Couldn't We couldn't contact her, but she could contact us. So I mean, immediately the red flags are going up for us, right? Somebody new and the new, new in the business might not see the red flags, but when you've been in the business for a while, you're like, oh, come on. So and she's writing this strange email to us about how lively and what a nice tenant she is and, you know, telling us a bunch of personal information and, you know, trying to get on a good side. And she has all this money. So she, she wants to take the property site unseen and she wants to pay us this big chunk of money so that she can secure the property because for some reason she has to move to Calgary, Alberta, and she needs to live in that area. So the scam is that they will send you a, an international money order for too much money. So if your rent is $30,000, they charge, they pay you $36,000 and they say, oops, I overpaid you. Can you reimburse me? You reimburse them. Their money order balances and you're out $6,000. Wow. 
Yeah. I, this is this is the same one that happens with vehicles, that kind of stuff too. They do the same thing. Oh, I had multiple deals happening because I buy I buy you know large inventory of vehicles. I I sent you the wrong amount. Uh, yeah, it's the same same thing. Okay, well that's that's good for our listeners to know too. Watch out for that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So if something seems a too good to be true, b a little fishy, it is. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yes, and always discuss it with other landlords. Like before you go in and jump on it, and it ten people have a tendency to want it. Oh, I've got someone who wants to rent it immediately. Okay, and I have had a lot of international clients who rented spaces, and there was no problem. But you make them go through a process. They shouldn't be in a rush. And um, you can certainly verify a lot of the information that they give you or validate it like through an accountant or a lawyer or whatever. And don't be in a rush. And if you're thinking something's a little fishy, get on the phone and call an experienced landlord, get on a Facebook group that, you know, like my Facebook group, Alberta Landlords Watch, and ask people, have you heard of this before? This is what's going on. What do you think? Get some feedback before you jump on it because you don't want to be out. Yeah, for sure. So you wrote a book. I think it's a Canadian landlord's handbook, right? Yes. Look, here it is. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Look at the back. Isn't that pretty? It's really good. And it looks like there's a our listeners, this is likely going to be on audio, so they're not going to be able to see it. But um, can you tell me, tell our listeners more about the, the book and, and what inspired you to write it? What's in it? Yes. Well, I wanted to write a, a Canadian Landlord's Handbook that it's Alberta focused, but there are resources for people in other provinces in the back of the book as well. But I wanted people to have a handbook that would take them through all the day-to-day operations of what they need to know when they're running a landlording business, a residential landlording business. So that's what this book is about. It's got everything in it you need to know about your tenant screening process, rental scams, what, what's a good investment for you, what property should you choose? Because a lot of people think, oh, just get any property. Well, no, there are certain things that suit you and suit your lifestyle. And, and if you've got a partner or a spouse or a significant other, you know, they're going to work with them as well. So we talk about that as well. So we go through absolutely everything. I tell lots of stories, as you know, and then there's a resource section at the back for people from different provinces so that they they can see what resources are available to them and to their tenants as landlords. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And then where would someone wants to buy the book? Where do they find it? Where's... They can get it on amazon.ca and it's Canadian Landlords Handbook, Landlord Fundamentals 101. Awesome. And thank hey. you for thank you for promoting my book. There's oh, a special yeah. place in heaven for people who buy my book and an even more special place if you take your picture and you send it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a number of people on my Facebook group who are the picture of themselves in their car or, you know, in their, awesome. their kitchen or whatever, holding the book. And I just get such a kick out of that. So, yes, <laughs> I always make a big deal about it. Well, I'll have to do it, too. <laughs> yeah. um, and then you got a blog. So I was on your blog. So uh, can you just share a little bit about your blog and what information people can find on there? You can find any and everything about being a landlord. You know, I, I have, well, probably over 250 articles on the on my blog at this point. And there are also white papers. So if you want to find out a, how to interview a property manager, if you decide you want to outsource, if you want to find out, you know, really involved screening process, there's white papers on all those things that give you tons of detailed information. There's also a membership site. So if you want to have access to free courses and some free resources, you can join the membership site and, and uh, have access to lots of stuff. And there's a, a resource section or an offering section. So if you want to, I, I kept all my prices of my of my courses very, very reasonable and they're all online. So you can take them in your own time because landlords are very busy people. Most people are working full time and they're doing this on the side. So you need to have something that fits within your schedule and, and isn't crazily priced. Like I don't, you know, these $40,000 courses, no, you can yeah. learn what you need to learn for 28 bucks, 50 bucks, Wow. My most expensive, yeah, you don't have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars. Well, wow, that's amazing. So now I'm going to hit you with a few, we're getting close to the end here. I'm just going to hit you with a few kind of quick rapid response questions. What's an app or software that you would use for your business that you can't live without? Yeah, I like Tenant Cube and Front Lobby. Front Lobby is a screening tool because it's attached. It attaches tenants' payment history to their credit score. We weren't allowed to do that for the last couple of years. Now we are. So you can help out your good tenants if they're paying on time and, and they're having a little trouble with their credit, it moves their credit, their credit up. If you've got bad tenants, you can report them on the front lobby. That'll show up on their credit score. So anytime anybody runs a credit report, the non-payment will show up. So that I love. Tenant Cube is a really great way for landlords of small properties, small amounts of investment properties, or just starting out with one or two properties to uh, 
property management software. It's really good. And it has, um, it organizes everything for you, which is really great when you're doing your accounting. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. And what's a favorite book of yours? I really love just about anything by Heather O'Neill, but in particular, Lullabies for Little Criminals. I just love that book. Yeah, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, Canadian author. She just, her writing, she describes things so beautifully and so uniquely. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. And what kind of things do you like doing outside of, uh, you know, coaching? What, what, what kind of activities do you do? I like working out. I, I I belong to a couple of meetup groups where we do stairs and coffee, where we do activities and coffee like hiking. And I belong to Toastmasters. I've been a Toastmaster for almost six years now. Oh. And I absolutely love the group. It's my positive dose of inspiration. I mean, you could come up and say two words and everyone's cheerleading for you and telling you you're fantastic. I mean, <laughs> where else do we get that in our lives? <laughs> Pretty sure. Not our relationships. We have to go to Toastmasters to get that. <laughs> That's right. So last question, what's the best way for people to find you, like your website, your blog, that kind of stuff, if you could just yeah. give some of that information? Yeah, you can you can find me on www.neldashulte.com, N-E-L-D-A-S-C-H-U-L-T-E.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Alberta Landlords Watch. It's a private group. There's also a page. And you can find me on Twitter at Nelda Helps Me. And then I recently started an Instagram account. Like recently, but I mean, last week, <laughs> that's Schulte Nelda. <laughs> okay. So I just started with that one. And I'm, I'm also on LinkedIn as well under Nelda Schulte. So really, there are a lot of ways you can get hold of me. Perfect. And we'll have links in the in the show notes as well. So mm-hmm. let's just find you there right. too. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. And, and it's, I had other questions, but we just didn't get to them. But I mean, you, you shared a ton of great information. and But all the other questions, uh, I'll go to your blog or... <laughs> or re- read your book, right? Yeah, I read my book. And I do have people, I, I will give time to people, and I'm talking 20 minutes, 15 minutes here and there, if they have a pressing question. If it's something that's legal, I'll say, okay, you have to deal with the legal thing. And I, and I do refer them to lawyers. I don't get a commission or anything from that. It's just something I'll do to help out my fellow colleagues. Nice. Uh, so there are times people will PM me or or message me or email me and ask me a question, and I'm and I'm happy to help them out. Because you need support in this business. For sure. We all nice. do. That's, that's awesome. Yes. So thank you so much for the interview. It was really a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you for being being here and uh, sharing all this great information. My absolute pleasure. Have a Merry Christmas. Same to you. Okay. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent in Calgary, Alberta. I'm also an entrepreneur, Red Seal electrician, and I hold a master home inspection certification. If you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893-2272. Follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey, or my website is CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, we have a Facebook group. It's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group, so Craig for short please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.